This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power, and embrace your possibilities. Your possibilities. Possibilities. Hello, this is Andrew Jobling. Welcome to the Wellness Puzzle Podcast for another fabulous conversation. And it is a fabulous conversation this week. I'm talking to Dr. Michael Elsie. Michael is a clinical psychologist, PhD, and this is a really incredible conversation. It's hard for me to sit here doing this introduction and trying to unpack what you're about to hear because Wow, there's so many incredible things, but Michael is a therapist and he's helping lots and lots of people. He looks at mental health in a very different way. He is helping people with emotional regulation. I love that because as we discuss, the key to really being happy, healthy, prosperous in life is the ability to regulate emotion, understand emotion and use our emotion because we are humans. We're going to feel emotion to tap into that and find our creativity within that emotion. Wow. This is a podcast I've enjoyed very, very much. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Michael Elsie. It's wonderful to be here with Michael all the way from New York. How are you, Michael? I'm good, Andrew. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. People can't see us. We're on audio and that's lucky (laughs) because it's early morning as we talk for me. So got my morning face on, which takes a few hours for me to get that face back to normal. You know, it's like when you wake up and you've got one eye stuck on your forehead and your nose is coming out of your cheek and stuff like that when you wake up in the morning. So I'm glad it's just audio at the moment. But anyway, enough of that banter. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Yeah. I'm very looking forward to this conversation because you've got a real interesting take on mental health. You're doing some pretty unique stuff in that space, trying to help people find answers to help them be happy and healthy and live their life, which I think is awesome. So before we sort of get into the thrust of what we're going to talk about, Michael, tell us a bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. So I work a few different gigs, which makes it really interesting, which I recommend highly to everybody to work a few different gigs and have them interconnect. So I'm a clinical psychologist by training and I work both in private practice, but I also have this wonderful gig working at Manhattan School of Music at their counseling center. So I work with these high-level musicians, classical, jazz, musical theater. And then I have a private practice where I work with young adults, adults, adolescents. And then, of course, I've been writing a lot these days as a blog and a book and TEDx talk. So I dabble in a lot of different things, but they're all interconnected in terms of trying to make mental health a more creative project for all of us. Yeah. Tell us about with your TEDx talk, because I know TEDx talk is very pointed and I mean, you've got a short period of time to get your message across. What was your main thrust in your TEDx talk? Yeah, you're so right, Andrew. Uh, I think a TEDx talk is essentially a poetry masquerading as a conversation. So it's got to be really, really tight. And my basic thrust was we think about introverts in our larger culture now these days, which is wonderful. But many therapists don't think about how introverts function differently from extroverts or introverted extroverts or ambiverts. And if we can really understand that, we can make a difference with a lot of unnecessary suffering out there. So the basic thrust was, boy, we could help a lot of people if we just understand how they work. And introverts work a bit differently from extroverts and ambiverts. And that's so true, isn't it? I had this pretty amazing conversation a few weeks ago 
with a lady. Her name was Jacqueline Shawless, and she's based in the US too. And the podcast is called Embrace Your Awesome, and it was all about introverts. She said she's an introvert, and she works with introverts, and I'm an introvert. And it's interesting how there's a lot of people are introverts. We do uh, well on podcasts, right? Because we like the one-on-one. We do, and no one can see our face. So it's really yeah, good. Perfect. There's no spotlight whatsoever. We can hide behind whatever. You're right. There's challenges for introverts because I think we live in an extroverted world. Or we live in a world where it's more acceptable to be socially out there and it puts a lot of pressure on introverts, doesn't it? You and I obviously know that. And for all the extroverts listening to this, extroverts have their challenges as well. Everybody, trying to communicate yeah. with introverts. I mean, that must be an incredibly frustrating thing for an extrovert who wants an introvert to be extroverted and an introvert who wants an extrovert just to settle down a little bit. You're right. It's all about understanding. I think that's a really critical piece of this. It's about awareness and it's about understanding. It's about awareness of ourselves and other people. It's about understanding that we're different. We communicate and also, differently. And you know, you, you mentioned something really interesting too. It's also about energy and emotional regulation. Because we all want to be energized, whether it's charged up as an introvert or fueled up as an extrovert, or if we're a hybrid as an ambivert, both. But we also need to figure out how to regulate our emotions constantly. We are basically at our root, sophisticated emotion regulation machines. And psychotherapy is nothing but the art of teaching people how they work in that way and learning how to become better, more nuanced, more creative about regulating their emotions so that they can have a fuller life. Okay. Well, that sounds lovely, mate. In theory, regulate your emotions. But what does it mean? Because we live in a world where emotion tends to control us in a lot of cases, or we allow our emotion to control us. We think it's out of our control. We feel like we act based on an emotion. Well, it's not my fault. I was angry or I did that because I was frustrated. So we tend to blame the emotion for the action, even though the action leads us to a consequence. We go, I wish I wasn't here, yet we're responsible because we acted based on an emotion, which we blame. So it's this vicious cycle, really, isn't it? Where we feel an emotion, we take action, the action leads us down a path, which we often regret. And then that gets us angry and we get stuck in this cycle. And I think one of the greatest keys to health, happiness, and loving life is this ability to regulate emotions. So how do we do that? Yeah. You know, it's a brilliant point. Here's the funny thing. There are two things we're not responsible for, our feelings and our thoughts. I know that sounds wild. We're not responsible for what comes up in us emotionally or what thoughts our minds go in all different directions. What we are responsible for is how we represent that and present that. That's where the creative interest happens in relationships. That's where it happens in defining yourself. And so we want to be compassionate with ourselves that our emotions will change. And like the weather, (laughs) just as our thoughts will go from here, there and everywhere. And you start thinking about something you completely didn't even realize was on your mind. And we're built in this really interesting, complex way. And that's actually a design virtue, not a design flaw. The challenge is figuring out what can we make of that? What can we do with that? And also, what information are my feelings or thoughts telling me? Often, our emotions or our thoughts can be messengers, but we don't decode them accurately. And we have to use both the logic of our analytical side, but we also have to use the logic of emotions. And emotions work in a different way. It's almost like in astrology, just to take it out of just as a metaphor, if you're a moon sign, you are more mercurial because the moon doesn't have light of its own. If you're a sun sign, you're like connected constantly. And our emotions are like 
a moon sign. It just go all over the place. And there's no use thinking that they're like the sun. They will not stay constant at all. Yeah, and we get this, don't we? The question, the ultimate question is, how do I get and stay motivated? The question that can never be answered, and it's not even possible because you'll never stay motivated. You can't stay motivated. You're right. There's so much confusion around emotion and why am I feeling this? But as you said earlier, there's a reason for our feelings. Whilst emotion is not logical, I believe there's a logical reason for them. Completely. There's always an underlying logic and there's always an intrinsic logic. And what you said about motivation is really true as well. Motivation is a moving target. That's the reason why it's so difficult. But it also is a creative capacity to constantly try to figure out how to tap into it. And it also actually involves unpacking your emotions and your thoughts and having them collaborate more. And that's when motivation becomes much clearer. But you're right. It's wild how these things work. They're not so easy. They're very slippery. So what would be, as we just start this conversation, what would be one tip you would give people who are sitting there being pulled from pillar to post based on their emotion and feel like they're out of control and this is just how I feel, I can't do anything about it. What one piece of advice would you give people to start regulating, understanding, and not being so wildly affected by their emotional state? Yeah, two pieces of advice here. One, imagine each emotion as if it were a character that you're inviting to your home or that's knocking at the door and you're curious about what it has to say but you're not trying to shut it out or pretend it isn't knocking. Because the more you try to pretend to an emotion that it's not there or that it's not important, the more it will try and bang down your door. So we want to say, come, sit. To paraphrase in almost a poem by Derek Walcott, um, there's a poem, Love After Love, and he basically tells us that we sometimes forget to love parts of ourselves. And getting to know our emotions is like getting to know different sub-personalities within us, and we have to treat them as Rumi said in his poem, The Guest Home, like a guest. Initially, emotions can feel just disruptive, but they often are there, as Rumi said in his poem, to be a guide from beyond if we can only give them a little bit more respect and decency. So one is not to be quick to dismiss a feeling or judge a feeling. Try and see if you can allow it to be there and almost allow it to interview it like it's telling its story, like it's a character. Yep. And be curious about it. Love that. And not to worry if it's not immediately clear. It's given you the headline, but you've got to get to know the story. That's awesome. That's great advice. And the other thing is, by the way, if it makes you feel better, we're all built with so many of these different emotions coming in and out. And instead of having one person as a guest, we always have this revolving cast of different guests knocking at our door, which is our home. And we feel like we're the master of the house. And yet there are these multiple guests coming and that's us too. So our role is to be a gracious guest to try and see if we can learn something from these aspects of ourselves and get to humanize them and develop more of a relationship. So we can be like, ah, sadness. There was a wonderful poem by Denise Levertov and she says, ah, grief, I should not treat you like a homeless dog. I need to give you a space. And we don't want to treat our feelings like homeless dogs. We don't want to treat them like strays. We want to kind of take them in and say, hey, can I clean you up? Can I give you something to eat? And can I understand you? Because it's so true, mate, that we create our emotions based on where our mind goes. And often we don't know where our mind is going because it might be an unconscious thought. But by sitting there with that emotion and trying to understand it, and as you said, ask it questions. Okay, why is this feeling here? Why am I sad? Why am I angry? Why am I anxious? Why am I grateful? Why am I joyful? 
and understand yeah. what's going on for right. you. Because the more you understand it, the more you like you'll never control emotion for sure. But yeah, at least get, having some peace with it. Emotional literacy, as I said, as as we talked about, is so helpful. Like you were about to say, yeah, right, absolutely. And and the other thing too that I wanted to kind of point out that you mentioned is really good is also it's really good to be curious about, hey, how did other people receive these emotions in my life? Were they hospitable? Were they open-minded? Were they compassionate? Or were there other people in my life, whether family or teachers or friends or significant others? who were dismissive or critical or judgmental of these sides, because we internalize those things. And then let's say you grew up in a household where it wasn't acceptable to feel sadness. You can only feel strong or you can only feel maybe angry, but you couldn't feel sad. Then we learn to shut those sides out and we feel like we're making sure that we protect ourselves. So we have to also make peace with the side of us that was trying to help us where it wasn't hospitable to talk about those feelings. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. Michael, let's have a quick break and we'll come back and really, what a pretty awesome start to the podcast, but let's have a quick break. Be inspired, be engaged, get motivated and make real change in your life and the people around you. Andrew Jobling knows how to inspire. On stage, he's riveting and engaging. Andrew is helping audiences around the world live their best life. Book him for a face-to-face or an online event. Go to andrewjobling.com.au to find out more. Michael, emotion is really the key to everything. If we think about it, we don't do anything that isn't first preceded by some kind of feeling. When our alarm goes off and we want to get up and go for a run, we either get up because we feel determined to take control of our well-being or we hit the snooze button because I'm tired or I'm lethargic or I'm discouraged or whatever, or we're sad, we hit the snooze button. When we feel grateful, we treat people with respect, we treat people with love. When we're angry, we treat people with disdain. And our life and our world is created around our feelings and how we respond based on those feelings. So, I mean, really what we're talking about here, this regulating emotion and understanding and welcoming it and looking at it and truly understanding how it's affecting our lives and how do we change how we relate to emotion is, I believe, the key to success, happiness, love, joy, peace, whatever you want in life. Completely. And you know, what's interesting about what you say It is the thing. It's sort of think about when you ask an actor, what's their first question is, what's my motivation? And what's my motivation is like, how do I really feel about all these things? and why. And we sometimes forget because sometimes we operate with more, oh, how should I feel? Or how should I do this? Which, you know, it doesn't like, you know, Fred Rogers, you know, the child TV guy in America, he was the guy who did this children's show where he basically told children, all your feelings are wonderful and you're good just as you are. He was basically saying, we want to just embrace all these different feelings. And You know how you said it's all about emotion regulation? I take it to another step. When we get to enjoy how emotions work and they shift, we almost get to see emotions like the different chord changes in a song. And like a good jazz player, we're getting more sophisticated about improvising on the different changes that emotions bring. And we can do something more nuanced and more expressive and more interesting with them, right? 
So I think what's interesting is that as human beings, we have this capacity to regulate and notice one of the first things that we are taught and that mothers and fathers do with their little babies basically is to be mindful of how to help them regulate and to teach them and scaffold for them how to learn how to regulate and then co-regulate. And so it's always about that. And we're always doing this even in relationships to see where's the other person at so we could figure out how's this going. Mm. When we get going in a good like conversation or a good collaboration, that's it becomes creative. And we go beyond just regulating. We go into a place of sort of making music and artful moments out of these emotions. And that's where I think we really get cooking. Yep. I 100% agree. Michael, success. Here's a word that is obviously used a lot. And we all have a different definition of what success is in our life. And if we go by what I guess society would dictate, then success is money in the bank, status, achievement, the body, the looks, the education, getting the score. It's all about a score. If I rank higher than someone else, then I am more successful. If I make more money than someone else, then I'm more successful. I can run faster than someone else. I'm more successful. Yet we look at a world of depression. We look at a world of suicide. We look at a world of sadness. We look at a world of anger. We look at a world of frustration. We don't look at a world, even those people that you would look at and go, okay, well, they're successful. Even those people are not happy. You know, in the US, mate, how many amazingly successful performers, entertainers, sports people are there that are suicidal, that are depressed, that are addicted, that have all sorts of issues. So clearly, success is not an achievement. So I think we've got to try and get out of this mentality that I must achieve to be validated, successful, accepted. And I've spent a lot of my life chasing that as well to find nothing but more frustration and more pain and more loneliness. I believe in coming back to emotion, success is a feeling. To me, this is my definition of success. And as you said, emotion changes moment by moment. And there is going to be sadness and there will be frustration and anxiety. And that's okay. It will be anger at times, but I think if the majority of our emotion is joy, is gratitude, is peace, to me, it doesn't matter how much money I have in the bank. It doesn't matter what I do, what I achieve or don't achieve. If I feel like, do you know what? Life's just good and I love who I'm with and I'm grateful for the life I have and the impact that I can have and I just feel this level of peace, to me, that's success. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are around that. Yeah, I love what you're saying. And I'm just going to basically get the assist from you on this on this kick that you gave me, which which is basically um, success is an inside job. It's an inside job, but we're often taught the message in culture that's an outside job, whether it's success, like you said, an achievement in our job or school or looks or anything that kind of is connected to external. And the only problem with that, those things are great, by the way. But on their own, what happens is that we tend to then objectify ourselves and over objectify ourselves. And then we lose connection to us being a subject. When you said what's success, I think um, success is being able to be fully at home with the collection of selves that is ourself and more fully at home with all of the multitudes within so that we can be more at home with the multitudes outside of us. And that also includes being more connected to nature and the world. And that is an inside job. The other thing that I think you're hinting at with success, that's actually really interesting, 
you can be a high achiever and there's nothing wrong with that. It's great to be a high achiever in business and sports and music and art in anything. There's a difference between being a high achiever and being a perfectionist. And a perfectionist or perfectionism makes us feel that unless we do this or achieve that, we are not really fundamentally lovable. And that is a devil's bargain because what it does is it basically operates from a place of dis. And that is the diabolical place that is really the antithesis of creativity. Creativity operates on what's called symbolic, which is throwing things together. And perfectionism makes it feel like we always have to be this next thing and it's never enough. So true. Oh my gosh. I wrote a blog recently trying to heal perfectionists because I'm so not a perfectionist. You know, I'm a spontaneous, even with no idea what I'm doing. That's how I got into the process of becoming an author. I had no idea what I was doing, but I thought I'm going to just get started and I'll learn as I go and I'll stuff it up. And that's part of the process. Yet perfectionists think they've got to get it right the first time. And if they don't get it right the first time, they're flawed, but they're not. They're human. It's crazy. And the other thing too, is that, you know, what's beautiful about what you said to Andrew, I love about your process is when we embrace the process and love the process, we become like children again. Children play, but that play is work. And the reason why it doesn't seem like work is because they're so immersed in the process and they allow themselves to be beginners with everything. Yep. And when we have that kind of spirit about things, it's not about what we own. It's about allowing ourselves to deepen and unfold our experience. And that is the inside center that is a much better place to anchor ourselves rather than any external achievement. So true. So what do you say to the perfectionists listening, Michael, that are cringing, going, yeah, but I can't make a mistake because I'll be judged or I'll feel like a failure. What do you say to those people that have this need to look perfect, be perfect, perform at that absolutely unrealistic level because they would feel stress and anxiety most of their life? Yeah. First of all, what I want to give is a hug to the side of that self that feels like it isn't really lovable unless it does that. And just say, you're welcome here. Second, I think is to say, there's this misconception that if you stop being a perfectionist, you're going to lose your edge in whatever it is that you do. The irony is you will be more flexible, more creative, more effective when you make this integration. And I think that's the funny part. Like, you, Andrew, right? You decided that you were going to follow your process and write books. And how many books have you written at this point? Uh, I've got eight. Yeah, yeah. So because you follow that process and it becomes a joyful process, not a fear-based process. So the problem with perfectionism, it's a good taskmaster, but it's a bad companion because (laughs) it's always ready to tell you how terrible you are and what have you done for me lately? Like if it was a partner, if it was a significant other, it would not be really giving you cards telling you how much it loved you and happy birthday and all that kind of stuff. It would be saying like, yeah, another year. What have you done for me? Yeah. And you could have done that better and you should have done that better. (laughs) And why haven't you done that? And Exactly. So I work at Manhattan School of Music where I work with these high level musicians and I have to teach them, you know, it's like athletes, Olympic level athletes, right? They think, wait a minute, if you take me away from my perfectionism, I'm going to lose my luster here. I'm going to lose my real spark and advantage. No, the actual funny part is the more that we enhance this human connection and get to know how these emotions work on a human scale, we can actually be much more creative. 
And actually, we get, we get let go of that heavy burden that it has to be this way. And the funny thing is, you know what the other thing is? There's this Zen paradox that in order to like actually produce, you have to let go. And in order to kind of be found, you have to be lost. And when we feel like it has to be a certain way, we don't allow ourselves to get lost. But children do this all the time. And that's why they discover such amazing things. Yeah, so true. I love everything you're saying. And as you were talking about athletes and their need for perfection, and obviously there's a lot of comparison in high-level sport. I'm always comparing myself to, I want to be like this person. And there's an Australian athlete that you may have heard of because he was an Olympic champion. His name's Kieran Perkins. He was a 1,500-meter swimmer. And it's really interesting, his journey. He, as a kid, was very uncoordinated. He was not sports-focused at all, yet I think he was about eight years old when he accidentally ran through a plate glass window, seven stitches in his calf. And he spent a lot of time in water doing rehab, observing the swimming squad. So when he'd finished rehab, he thought, I might join the swimming squad. And he was a terrible swimmer. Like, he just was terrible. And his coach said, that's okay. If you were using the comparison model, You'd say, no, Karen, there's no chance you'll ever make it in swimming because look how far behind everyone else you are. But his coach said to him, just focus on improvement. Just focus on you improving your time each time you swim. And interestingly, one of the races he did, he came dead last because he was a young kid and he looked at his time and he'd got a better time. So he's jumped out of the pool, celebrating, yay. And his mom and dad are going, Karen, settle down, mate, settle down. You've come dead last, yet he's celebrating. What an amazing lesson to teach a young child that success is not about where you rank in the race, but what you do around your own self-improvement. Now, this one character trait that he developed or was taught at that age led him to three consecutive Olympic Games, two gold medals and a silver medal. Just an amazing story, but I love that story because when you're talking to an athlete and I've got to be better than that, no, you don't. You just have to be better than your last performance. You just have to improve yourself every single time. And when you focus on that, you're in control. Yeah. It's actually kind of like meditation. It's like coming back to your own breath. You're not coming back to anybody else's breath. It's your breath. And that's your center. And that's the place where, and obviously think about the breath as a metaphor. The breath is the spirit, right? That's where the creative center, that's where our energy comes from. So I love that story because It's so true. And yet it is so easy for those of us. And of course, we're conditioned through a lot of school, especially in America. I don't know if what it's like in Australia, but it's it's probably the same, right? We we think about what are our test scores and what are our, you know, what do we do in comparison? What track are we in and all that kind of stuff. And we start to compare left and right. And the thing is, we want to actually embrace the fullness of our own nature, which is unique. I was talking in a school early this year to a group of year 12s or you would say 12th graders. And as I drove into the school, there was a big flashing neon sign out the front. This is in February, the start of the school year here in Australia and flashing the results for 2021. They're called ATAR scores here in Australia. The scores, how well we did and how proud we are of our year 12s for 2021. And as I went in to talk to that group of year 12 students, the first question I asked them was, how do you feel about that sign out the front? And they all said, every one of them said, we feel pressure, we feel stressed, we feel anxiety, because what if we don't live up to that? Yeah. And I think there's another perfect example of how this pressure on achievement and scores and comparison is so dangerous. Yeah, it, it, it also what it does is, you know how you said depression and anxiety, all of those conditions are 
ways in which we feel split off from our full selves and which we feel alienated. And ironically enough, these things tend to alienate us from being more integrated because we're not meant to be so objectified. We're meant to build mastery. We're meant to see how far we can go like that swimmer. But interestingly enough, we're also meant to do it for intrinsic motivation. There was an interesting study in America some years back, and they gave these two conditions, children in one condition versus another. They took them out of class and had them do like sort of play activities and like do pictures and all these kinds of things. And in one condition, they gave them a reward. Like they gave them like a prize. And another, they didn't give them anything. The kids who got the prize no longer wanted to do the pictures and do the games because they were feeling like they were being bought rather than they were doing it from their intrinsic desire to do it. Yeah. We're going to have another quick break and we're going to come back and wrap up this fabulous conversation. Fitness is an essential piece of the wellness puzzle. First step, finding someone to help you on your fitness journey. But finding a personal trainer or class you love isn't always easy. That's where Fitty comes in. Fitty is the app to help you discover trainers and classes near you, find one you love, and connect. Booking session times or classes has never been easier with Fitty's unique live calendar view system. Download the Fitty app in the App Store or Google Play today. We were just saying during the break how this conversation, we didn't plan this really, did we? I mean, it's just happening. It's just going the way it's meant to go. And I love that about this podcast. I try not to plan it too much because I think when you plan things and again, same thing, I have this goal I must reach with this podcast. If I don't hit every single point, then... You're showing basically how you follow process and how the other cool thing is that when we follow process, we have these interesting surprises and we discover and make something together. And so it becomes this creative collaboration. And this is the model of what we're trying to do internally. And the more that we do this, the more healthier we are. Okay. So that's a beautiful lead in because I think one of the things I wanted to talk about right from the start and haven't even touched on yet, you talk about looking at mental health differently. Yeah. How do you look at mental health differently? I think, you know, a lot of times within our culture, even though it's been great that we've like figured out that there are all these different kinds of mental health conditions and people are feeling less stigmatized with going and getting help, that we also over-identify with problems and don't look at, wait, this is, this is all a part of figuring out the range of our human condition and how can we deepen and expand how we work more creatively, psychologically. And I think sometimes it's ironic that we don't look at ourselves as artistic beings psychologically. It's like a high-level practice, like a sport, music, painting, anything. Learning how to become more psychologically integrated is an art. It's a true art form. And I think sometimes we think about it as, oh, wait, I need relief from this issue or problem. Hmm. What about this is a creative opportunity for me to deepen my sense of myself and my relationships in the world and make more music? That's a, such a valid point, mate, because I mean, how many people when they feel anxiety or depression and go to a doctor, get a medication to mask the symptoms rather than face it and go, okay, where's the power here? Because there's yeah. always inspiration. As you said, there's inspiration in every adversity. A podcast I've just actually released is a lady named Charlene Madden, who was sexually abused as a child in domestic abuse, addiction, alcohol, drugs mental health issues a whole life was right on the verge of suicide and through some divine intervention she's now one of the things she did do she said she started writing poetry 
in that dark place. She said, better ink on the page than blood on the page is what she said. Sure, so true. And now she's a speaker and a coach and does all that stuff. And she's now using all the things she's been through as a platform to help other people. If we're feeling this, what we have been deemed, and I really don't like the phrase mental health at all, because I think yeah, what it yeah. does is it all of a sudden mental health, oh, they've got a problem. There's something wrong with them. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with anyone because we're all on the spectrum. And I don't like mental health. I call it mind wellness. So I thought I'll just rephrase oh, it mind that. wellness because I, I think that. it means the same thing effectively. Yeah. But you think of that spectrum, we're all on it somewhere. We all feel a level of anxiety, insecurity, fear at some point in our life. And we all hopefully feel a level of joy, gratitude, fulfillment as well. It's just where do we sit on the spectrum and how do we use where we're at to move us along the spectrum? Yeah, I love that. And I love that mind wellness. And I think it's interesting how this woman also found something that helped her through poetry is, again, creativity, what we consider a creative art, helping her to tap into the creative inner psyche. And you're right, these are totally interconnected and they're always available. And I think we want to come back to that place that it's in us and to, to really focus on not on that inside job, but that inside enjoyment, that there's a real, obviously as introverts, it's easy for us to connect to that. But I think we all start from an introverted core where we have this place that we can come back to and come home to. And we all, like you said, struggle and suffer from the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, as Hamlet said, right? We all deal with these unpredictabilities. And yet there's great beauty in how we face those and what we do with those. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing from you, Michael, which is incredibly powerful, is I think the first thing is to embrace your emotion and to invite it in and to understand it, talk to it, discuss with it, find out what it's communicating, what it means. Don't judge it. Stop feeling like you're a loser because you're depressed or because you're anxious or because you're fearful. That's just part of being a human. And then what I hear you saying is then the next part is find your creativity within that. And what can you do to express that and use that? So give us some examples, Michael, of how some of the people you've worked with have used their emotion as a platform for their creative space, whether it's music or art or could be sport or could be writing, could be whatever it could be. What are some thoughts for people that are sitting here going, yeah, I've got this feeling. How do I convert that into a creative aspect of my life? Yeah, I was just talking to a jazz guitarist today and he was talking about getting panic attacks in class and anxiety was really rushing in. And as I listened to what was triggering it, he was telling me, you know, all of a sudden I get this feeling and I said, wait a minute, let's start from early on. And it turns out that he's a really sensitive guy. So he was sensitive to the bright lights in the room. He was sensitive to a sort of difficult project that he was working on. And when we could be attentive to those sensitive sides and invite them in and say, hey, you're great. And I said, instead of trying to suppress those, let's be attentive and see what those sides need. And the more that we could get to see those sides, he's like, wait a minute. You mean I don't have to feel trapped? I said, no, you're at home. And so it's really important that... And I joked with him. I said, you're a jazz guitarist. You know that these things change all the time. And you don't get scared when you're doing a tough lead sheet, which has a lot of changes. Why don't you respect the interesting, intricate changes in your song? And he got it. Mm. Right, that's so good. Michael, if people want to reach out to you, actually, before I ask you that question, you've written a book. Tell us a bit about your book. 
Yeah, it's actually, it's funny because it riffs on these ideas of emotional improvisation. And it's really written for therapists. It's called Therapeutic Improvisation, How to Stop Winging It and Own It as a Therapist. And it's really to help therapists learn how to bring this art of teaching this kind of emotional improvisation and regulation to their clients. And also that therapists are teaching the art of living creatively and that therapists too are artists in their own right. So it brings all this stuff together with some neuroscience and literature and film and music. And it's, it's been a fun project. Awesome. That's great. So how do people find you? How do people buy your book? How do people reach out to you? Yeah. So if you're looking to find me, best place on my website, michaelalsey.com. And then I write a lot of my psychology today blog, which is called live life creatively. So you can find me there. And then you can find my TEDx talk by just Googling my name. And then my book is it's, it's on right now. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can find it by just typing in that title, therapeutic improvisation. Beautiful. Michael, thank you so much for your time, mate. It's been an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I know the people listening to this have got some real value from this because I think this is, as I said earlier, the key to really loving life and living a joyful life is this understanding and this emotional regulation. I like inviting emotion in, embrace it, invite it in, welcome it, talk to it, understand it, and then use that as a platform to be more creative and love your life. Exactly. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Andrew. This was the best. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Wow, that was great, wasn't it? Fantastic. I just love these podcasts. And when Michael and I started talking, I said, look, mate, I really don't know where we're going to go, how this is going to end up, what path it's going to take. And as always, it went exactly where it needed to go. And I truly believe, again, this year, the same message, success is an inside job, regulating emotion, understanding emotion, finding your joy, finding your creativity that is within you, loving yourself for who you are, for not for what you do or what you've achieved, but just knowing that you are an incredible person, killing that perfectionist character that you might have and replacing it with direction and understanding that you are a great irrespective of whether you get it right the first time or not. As you have just experienced, that was a fabulous conversation. If you would like to reach out to Michael and find out what he's doing or buy his book or get in contact with him, go to his website, which is michaelalsey.com and you can find all his details there. It was a wonderful conversation. So thank you very much, Michael. Thanks to Pietro and the team at Fiddy for sponsoring the podcast. This is a message that I just think every single person needs to hear, and I'm grateful that Fiddy is helping me get that message out to the world. I'm also very grateful for what they do in terms of helping people get moving, helping personal trainers get more clients, helping people find personal trainers, help people get their health and well-being on track because that's such a critical part of living your best life. Another wonderful week down and looking forward to what I bring to you next week it's going to be another fabulous conversation with an incredible person please invite some other people to join the wellness puzzle podcast because everyone that listens to this i know is going to be impacted in a positive way so thank you very much my name is andrew jobling this is the wellness puzzle podcast 